thank you all for being out here today. So how it's gonna work is I'm gonna just talk a little bit about some general stuff about me, a little bit about the Slam of the Damned, which is a series I did last year. Then we're gonna show a teaser video of our Insomniac Night Runs, talk a little bit about night running, and then take your guys' questions. Uh, I guess I'll start out. Uh, my name is Jamel Curry, and I've been running trail and ultra type events for over 10 years now, and been organizing races since 2008. We've probably done close to, I don't know, 130 events we've put on the last, uh, I guess, seven, eight years, and just really enjoy giving back to the community, putting on these events, and sharing what I love to do, which is running ultra marathons and trail running. So um, I guess start off with, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Slam of the Damned. How many of you here have heard of that before or know a little bit about? Okay, perfect, only a couple people. So um, how many of you have run an ultra marathon? Okay, so. Well, a little under half, probably. Um, you can say it now, that's exciting. Yes. Um, so, you know, I started, my first one was back in 2005. I did a 12 hour night run, and that was on a really short looped course. It was 500 meters, and you just run as many or few laps as possible. I, I see people cringing. Uh, it was actually a lot of fun because there was no set distance. You could just run or walk or take a break, uh, whatever you wanted to do. So I'd run one marathon before that and then went to this 12 hour run. Uh, both of my younger brothers ran as well and accumulated 55 miles. Uh, so I went from a marathon to 55 miles was my next distance equivalent. And uh, it was just purely through like walking and running and it just adds up over time. Um, and I've since kind of tended towards doing more mountain races. So kind of just graduating up in distance. I did the Man Against Horse 50 mile next and then soon was entering a 100 mile race. Um, and I've always been drawn to really tough events. So the Hard Rock 100 in Colorado is kind of the most iconic race that was on my list. And uh, that's 100 miles in Colorado, it goes up to 14,000 feet and has about 33,000 feet of climbing. So that's you know, climbing up Mount Everest and back down, more than that, in you know, one race. Uh, and so this last year I was kind of looking at what races I wanted to do in 2015. And I, guys, I think a lot of us do, we kind of make our, our goal list of what we might wanna do. And it just so happened that you know, kind of a lot of the races that I wanted to do require a lottery. They're so popular that they have to turn people away. Um, so I applied for the Hurt 100, which is a 100 mile race in Hawaii with about 25,000 feet of climbing and you're going through like the, you know, the jungle rainforest with roots covering all the trails. Um, entered that one and I got in. I also entered the Barkley Marathons. If you've heard of that one, it's an almost impossible race to finish. They've had 14 people finish in 30 year event. I uh, attempted it the year before and definitely wanted to, you know, I didn't finish, so I wanted to go back. Uh, applied for that and got in. Applied again for the Hard Rock 100. Was fortunate enough to get into that. And then I applied for UTMB. It's the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, 100 mile race over in Europe. Um, around Mont Blanc, it goes through three different countries, starts in France, goes through Switzerland, and also 
uh, Italy. Or, yeah, I think that's right. Um, and that one, I think there's like 2,300 people in that race. It's one of the biggest ones in the world. Uh, also a lottery, and I got into that. So I was literally flying over to Hawaii for the Hurt 100 when I found out I got in to UTMB. So I had four epic, really hard 100 mile races on the calendar for 2015. And I thought, this needs a name. You know, they, they call, they have this thing called the Grand Slam of Ultra Running, and that is the four oldest 100 mile races. It's uh, Western States, Leadville, uh, Wasatch, and can anyone help me with the fourth one? Vermont, thank you. Um, you're gonna have to step it up, Wes. <laughs> so, you know, I thought I needed a name for that. Uh, put it out on Twitter, hey, what do you guys think this should be called? And got some various reactions, the stupid slam, the impossible slam, um, the pain slam, and, and then someone said the slam of the damned, and that just seemed very fitting for kind of the torture I was about to put myself through. Um, so I guess, like, long story short, um, I completed all the races except for the Barkley. I made it four loops out of the five, and uh, they weren't easy, um, obviously. <laughs> but like I've I've done uh, like the Hard Rock and you know, had a pretty good race before, but this was just um, a lot of death marching. Had a couple injuries, um, so I don't know. If you guys have specific questions, we can get into that later. Um, but just really intense experience, uh, kind of doing all four of those races in one year. Um, let's see, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that right now. Um, <laughs> we, let's talk about, um, I guess I'd really like to get into the night running since we have some night runs coming up this summer. I'd say that that's one of my favorite aspects of running 100 mile races is the fact that you run all day and then you have to enter into the night. And I think I've had just some really magical experiences running at night. It's just, it's different. Um, you get the wildlife a lot more. Um, scary. <laughs> um, is that what you said? <laughs> well, I mean, it's just. Um, and I think also you kind of, you start getting really tired and like almost hallucinating. It's just a kind of a different experience. It's hard to describe. Um, I think some of the most difficult and intense experiences can sometimes be the most memorable uh, looking back on them. So I think that's a big reason why I do tough events and, and wanting to push to do 100 mile races. So we give you guys a taste of that with uh, some of our night runs. So I'm going to play this video real quick, give you a little bit of an idea of what goes on out there um, for night runs. So let's play that. So it gives you a little idea of what it's like out there. Um, I think one of the most interesting things about the races itself is, you know, with 100 people out on the trail at once, it's actually quite bright with everyone's headlamps out there. Uh, it gets really cool when you have like a loop, like a five mile loop, and you can just see all of the lights spread out throughout the desert. It's really, really awesome. And the other cool thing too is you come into the aid stations, which are really, like really well lit up and have a lot of energy, and you kind of like recharge and then head back out into the darkness. Um, really good time. So like some things to think about for night runs is number one, these are starting in the evening. So typically you're used to a morning race. So you've like eat dinner the night before, you have your rituals and routines, um, wake up, have a little bit of breakfast, but you're kind of, you've had time to digest your meal. So I think a lot of times people struggle with, you know, I don't know, how do you eat? Do you have dinner, lunch? Um, I usually suggest having like a bigger breakfast and a lighter lunch and then uh, kind of letting that digest a bit before getting out there. 
Um, especially with the runs here in Phoenix, we have ones that are later in July and August, and it just doesn't cool down. Yeah. So it can be 90 degrees, I mean, 107 at the start, and then not really get below 90 or 95 for the low temperature. And so just because the sun isn't shining on you doesn't mean that the heat isn't affecting you. So that's something to really think about. Um, so it's kind of like, you have to manage that as well. Uh, not only like properly hydrating throughout the day, um, my favorite thing to do is just dump like dump cold water on my head whenever I'm running in the heat. So, you know, I think it's the best way to keep yourself cool. Um, we've literally had people with heat illness running some of these night runs and it's easily preventable just with taking care of yourself ahead of time. And even though it doesn't feel that hot, it, it really can, can affect you and uh, kind of affects your nutrition too because you can get nauseous and uh, have tough time keeping things down. Um, but a lot of our night runs here in Phoenix, they're held at the regional parks and we uh, purposefully design a lot, even the longer courses to be a sh kind of a short loop. Um, and that gives you a chance to kind of run with other people and come through the same aid stations and, and resupply. So it's also a good way to, uh, to have what you need and access it uh, really easily. Um, plus like you don't get like the big vistas and views at night anyways. So. Um, Let's see what else we got. Um, headlamp considerations, obviously you have a couple choices. Uh, you can have a handheld flashlight uh, or like a headlamp you wear on your head. And there, there's even some newer products coming out where um, I know Ultraspire has like a 600 lumen waist belt um, that clips on and it doesn't bounce. Um, so your hands can be free, but you have a light that's lower down. Um, so like kind of the difference, I, I oftentimes actually like to use a flashlight when you are running along, especially on a trail with rocks, uh, a light from above kind of washes everything out. When you have something in your hand, you can actually cast shadows on those rocks and see a lot of the obstacles a lot easier. So, um, and even better if you want each, you know, a headlamp and a flashlight. And I recommend typically something with at least 200 lumens. Um, and honestly, the more, the better. If you can create an artificial daylight for yourself when you're running at night. It's gonna keep you awake longer and also um, just see better. Um, so I guess that's a little bit of the intro. I think probably move into Q&A because I think we can get a lot of your guys' questions answered that way. So um, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Okay, start over here. Okay, so I'm looking uh, in two months doing my first 100. Okay. Just wonder if you got any crazy advice, special advice for which race? I'm doing the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, advice for first hundred mile race, I would say come up with a plan. So and, and like do do your studying and your homework. Make sure you know the course, kind of how far apart the aid stations are. If you can even do a time projection, it can be helpful. Are you going to have a crew or a pacer? I have a crew. I don't have a pacer yet. Probably because okay. I'm flying to Ohio, so yeah. <laughs> I'll, just, so like, I'll probably get somebody there, hopefully. Yeah, so coming up with a plan with your crew, um, you know, what you think your splits are gonna be, and comparing all your different, maybe drop points, I would package your nutrition in different bags so they can easily just hand you what you need. Um, and the number one thing I would say is, I know Mohican's a flatter course, I believe. It's, oh, it's, it's actually, it's 30,000 change. Okay, so 15, so, um, yeah. 15, yeah. I would say just walk walk the hills, like 
even from the beginning, or come up with some sort of a walking strategy from the start. I think a lot of us, it's easy to get caught up in the excitement of it's your first 100, it's your first ultra, your first big race. Um, you go out too hard. I think pacing yourself from the get-go is really important. You're inevitably going to be walking at the end, and I think the more you run at the beginning, that point can come sooner where you can't even run anymore. So it's going to be hard because the rest of the field is going to feel like they're just leaving you in the dust. But that'd be my number one um, recommendation. All right, next question. No. What are some of your tips for trying to stay motivated at night? Because I know a lot of people go through this lull where you know the sun's down. It's really hard to stay motivated. You're out there by yourself. What are some things? Um, I would say you can use different tricks. Like sometimes I think music will work for people, and I don't use music a lot, but I know at night that can really help to kind of get me motivated and energized. Uh, if you're in a 100 mile race or a longer event and you can have a pacer, that can be a really good thing, or like latching onto and working with someone else who's in the race, uh, I think could be really important for that. Um, I don't know, I, I don't know what else. I know you're notorious for taking a couple naps here and there. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So I took. I think I actually slept at all four of my Slam of the Damned races, which I don't necessarily recommend. Um, but sometimes it was literally like I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't function. I had already, you know, tapped into the caffeine stores like a million times. Couldn't do that anymore. It just wasn't even keeping me awake. I mean, and that's another thing. Like a, a punch of caffeine at night can get me amped up pretty pretty well, so that's always something else, you can, a tool you can use as well, kind of a well-timed um, caffeinated gel or coffee or something. So on that question, what would your caffeine strategy be? Would you try to stay away from it for as long as you can and then at the beginning when the sun goes down you, you try to get on it or do you wait till later? when you think you might need it or something like that, what is your typical strategy for caffeine? A lot of times, it'll start even before the race. Like, I'll try and get off caffeine anywhere from two to four weeks before a big goal race where I know I'm gonna need to use it so it's more effective. And I, I'll try and stay away from it as long as I can, which usually maybe around the 50 mile mark, kind of when the sun goes down, start taking it and then kind of consistently um, every four hours or something. I have my first 30 miler coming up uh, next month and as someone who is relatively new to trail running and definitely new to uh, ultra distances, what advice would you give me for my first race? Uh, I would say kind of a little bit of what I was saying with this first 100 miler. Uh, definitely yeah, know your course and it's, I would start conservatively. Uh, that's always the best thing to do I think anytime you're reaching up to a new distance. Don't be afraid to walk, I mean call it ultra running but a lot of people walking, I walk a lot, I hike a lot in my races, and, and use the hills to your advantage to help dictate that pace. I mean, I've, I think I've actually won a race before walking every single uphill. Like the Zane Gray in 2009, I literally walked every time it was, there was an incline. Uh, and that saved a lot of my energy stores, so I could actually pass a lot of people in the last 20 miles of the race, because I felt fresh and was able to just consistently move up all the way to the finish. So when you're training for the long runs, like what 
like what's your training, I guess? What's the longest run you go out and do if you're gonna be running for 24, 30 hours? Yeah, um, when I was training up for Hard Rock a couple years ago, had probably my best training cycle ever. And three weeks before the race, I did a 13 hour run. It was 56 miles of the course. So, uh, and I was trying to replicate what was gonna be going on race, race day. So I started at 6 a.m. just like the race was. Uh, had crew meet me at you know a couple of the crew spots and refuel. Uh, so you know it was about half of the distance, um, probably a little under half of the time, uh, three weeks out. So it gives you a little bit of a gauge. If you're a lot of people, I think will build in a 50 mile training run leading up to a 100 miler. I just happen to do it on my own. I think that can be a really good thing. I also strung together quite a few, you know, 20 to 30 mile training runs that were spaced out a little bit before that. And I think I did yeah, probably about a 20 miler, um, 10 days to two weeks out and then tapered down from there. And a taper is really important as well. Um, although almost every time I taper, I start getting these like weird pains everywhere. I think I'm injured, but usually it, as soon as the gun goes off on race day, we'll find it. Talk a little bit about how you manage the aid stations. Do you typically like to splash and dash them? Do you like to recover on them? Do you like to skip one and move to the next one? How do you normally do that, say, for a 50 miler versus a 100 miler? <coughs> yeah, 50 milers, I think I, I like to be as efficient as possible and move through. And it kind of just depends too where it's at. Uh, if it's a looped race where you're like, repeating the loop, and so there's like eight stations at the start finish line there's maybe a couple of remote ones i like to move through that one at the start finish as soon as i can just because it's easy to quit there <laughs> uh, i think my biggest example of that one was at the umstead 100 it's eight 12 mile loops 12 and a half mile loops and i was having a terrible race i did not want to keep going and i just told myself as long as I leave that main aid station, I'm gonna keep marching on and do the loop. So I would actually spend more time at the remote aid stations, just kind of recovering. Um, but generally, if I'm you know, well trained for a race and I'm running well, you know, I like to be efficient, as efficient as possible. Uh, just going through, you know, grab some food and take it with me and, and keep walking. You know, every, every step you take forward is a step closer to that finish line. Uh, but I've also, you know, been notorious for taking naps at aid stations sometimes, <laughs> and I always like to do that in lieu of dropping out. I'll take an hour nap on a cot if I have to, to recharge. Um, you know, for me, it's not all about the finishing time. I, you know, I couldn't even tell you probably within an hour of some of my finishes, and to me, that's not the most important thing. It's I love getting to that finish line despite setback. So um, I don't know. Does that kind of answer it? Do you typically manage it? Do you typically have a crew for some of these bigger ones? And do do you, what's the criteria that you want for a person that's going to crew you? What kind of experience you expect to have them have? How do you coach them? What do you tell them before the race? So I've done it both ways. I've gone to races, had no crew, no pacer. So a lot of times you're relying a lot more on the aid station volunteers. And if it's a good race, they'll, they'll be happy to help. Um, and then I've done races with you know full crew, full pacer, everything. Um, I think it's important to be careful. Yeah, be a little careful with who you ask, um, and then come up with a plan. I think the more kind of detailed instructions you can give them, the better. Um, 
having someone that has experience is always a good thing. They know what you're going through. Uh, someone who knows you personally kind of help motivate you. You know, when you hit that quit point, um, them saying the right thing to get you back out there, motivate you, I think is important. Uh, a lot of times I'll do as much as I can to you know, make it easy on the crew as well. Uh, you know, maybe buy like a bunch of food for them so they have a good experience. You know, it's, crewing is hard. I think it's harder than running the races. Just because they're up all night, they're driving around all over the place, trying to find you, probably getting bored, I don't know. Um, and you're just kind of running and being taken care of. Um, so really think about taking care of the crew as well. Uh, I always also like to organize my supplies kind of in bags, label them all, that way they just, um, they can grab that and like swap out your pack easily. Sometimes even having two packs where they can you know, repack something or repack the hand bottles with the next round of supplies, you can make a quick transition through some of those aid stations. Um, always, I found that to be you know, really helpful too. I'm not running like big miles, but this is like one of my first ones. I'm just doing the the, the lowest one, the baby one. What can I expect? So you're talking about. So I'm not going to have a pacer, am I? I'm not going to pack bags. And stuff. Are you talking about the <laughs> just like your normal with with the Oh, okay. So like what to bring? Um, yeah, if you're just doing a short race, I mean, I obviously bring a headlamp, flashlight, um, um, some cold drinks for afterwards of your choice. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I know. Do you have any more? Like specifically, what are you wondering about? Like what gear to actually? Well, I mean, like, what, what could you expect if you've not been back there? If, if you've not, not been on at, um, at night. At night. Um, so trail markings, uh, we use reflectors that reflect off of a flashlight. So they're they're not battery powered or anything, but you can see uh, there's arrows at junctions that are lit up. So it's important to keep an eye out for those. Uh, and we usually hang them every like tenth of a mile along the route. Um, let's see. Um, so yeah, like, that's a little bit different than the normal um, day races. Um, let's say we're doing the Sinister 27K, for example. Sure. Yeah. Perhaps. So, yeah. Maybe I actually am doing that. <laughs> so yeah, like, and, and so that's a multiple loop course. So you have three loops. Um, so I would bring a bag with your own nutrition, your own whatever you think you might need. I mean, it could, for a race coming up at the end of April, it actually could get cold out there at night, especially away from the city. So having a layer that you can have in your own drop bag at the start finish line, we have an area that's set aside. You can just put whatever you want right there um, and access that, you know, each 9K loop. Um, extra batteries, I would carry them with you. I would even carry a backup light, just in case, you never know when the light's gonna go out. And the last thing you want is to be stranded out on the trail with, with no light. I've had that happen up with someone else, so um, I think that's really important. Making sure that you have fresh batteries in your headlamp uh, ahead of time. Had issues with that before as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'll ask the question. What do you do about restrooms? Restrooms? <laughs> Bathrooms. <laughs> Bathrooms? It's <laughs> so like just in a, in a trail race in general? No, you're out on the trail. Sure. Um, so, like, I mean, number one, get off the trail. <laughs> you know, using the trail itself, you know, let alone if someone saw you, it's just not very courteous. Um, kind of like, you know, use like the, it 
it's like you're camping or backpacking. Um, you know, leave, I like to use like leave no trace principles. So typically that means like digging a little hole, um, you know, doing your business. So you take stuff with you, fucking like you know, paper or um, I you use the no trace. Like me personally? <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's just get into it. I personally <laughs> don't carry anything like that. Um, okay. Like I, like let's just be honest here. Like I, I actually look for like smooth rocks. That's what I use. Um, so I don't know. That's just, anyone else? No. Like, I think people. I don't know. That seems pretty effective for me. Um, but like, think, get a little careful with the vegetation that's out there. You don't want to get that poison ivy stuff or anything that can give you a reaction. Um, I know a lot of people will carry like a little bit of toilet paper. Open. Um, just make sure you bury that or pack it out, which is kind of maybe a worse option. I don't know. Yeah. It's a real thing. It's a real thing, yeah. We all have to deal with it. Um, you never stop. Yeah, I've heard a lot of stories, you know. Um, shirts that get donated to the forest. And, um, yes. Do you want to, can you ask that again? And, you were talking about the Barclay race, and you said something about uh, Death March. All right, so Death March. Uh, so I had, I guess Barclay wasn't really a Death March for me. It was more like the other two races in the Slam of the Dam. And I guess just referring to reaching a point in your race where you literally can no longer run. So at Hard Rock, that happened to me at mile 70. I had like extremely bad shin pain, and I couldn't run downhill and I was already just walking all the ups and I had trekking poles and I was like I would just be tiptoeing down a descent uh, it was just excruciating pain um, but I just I kept making forward progress tried to find like weird ways to walk so it was minimizing the pain um, and then that injury carried over seven weeks later I was out in Europe doing the UTMB actually running quite well the first 45 miles and the same sort of pain came back and I was again just reduced to a walk for over half the race. Yeah. Back there. I'm curious as you said just now how you had an injury and then you had another race so how did you alter your training when you're kind of dealing with an injury but you obviously really want to still run? Yeah. prepare for something. So your question, how do you deal with an injury and still prepare and complete a race? Um, I think it depends a little bit on the injury itself. I've had some really bad ankle sprains. I was actually just talking to someone who rolled their ankle and was going to withdraw from Zane this next weekend, from Zane Gray. Um, so I was able to utilize uh, some of the, the tape they have, like kinesio tape or rock tape, and actually tape up my ankle in a way where it, like, it was impossible for it to roll because it was it was stabilized. And so I would tape up my ankle, which was my injury site. I was able to still train. I was able to still complete the race, um, you know, despite the fact that I, I did have that injury. I think you can alter your training and do cross training and still um, get out there uh, to do a race. Um, do you have like a specific injury that you're dealing with? In um, hip IT. Okay. Um, the IT band is a tough one. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have specific recommendations. Are you seeing someone for? Not currently. Some it got better, and then it just started bothering me like, the last week. Okay. Um, but just like I guess in general, just like what kind of cross training they 
I mean, I think it just depends what what won't aggravate the injury and what you personally enjoy doing. Um, biking or swimming could be options. Um, I like rowing machine as well. That can be a totally different form of cardio. Uh, but I think number one is like if you do, if you know you have the injury, you know, get after it and go in and see someone and start getting the therapy you need. I think that's the number one thing that that will help. Any more? So what's your advice for people that are road runners and that are afraid to dabble in the trail running? What would you say to somebody? Try it, number <laughs> one. Um, I think, and don't be scared to, I know I talked a lot about like walking or hiking. When you get out there and you're out on a trail and a lot of times around here, that means you're going up and down hills, like that can be intimidating. Uh, for someone that's coming from the roads and you're focused on trying to hit a certain minutes per mile pace and it can be discouraging to look down and see like an 11 or a 12 or a 15 or a 20, you know, minute per mile pace, but that's entirely normal. Um, like, don't think I run every single hill or mountain out there. I, I hike a lot and that's a big part of the sport. So yeah, and a little plug, if you want to try trail running, we have a group that meets every Wednesday night at 6.30 and we rotate around the valley we have a group that just goes three, three and a half miles. And um, it's really attainable for anyone, I think. And it's really enjoyable, so. Yeah. So what's your next slam of the dam, too? Uh, well, I had aspirations this year, um, but it's kind of been derailed, maybe a little bit of carryover from last year, and just you know other things going on in life, but and a training setback, but I was gonna do Barkley again, which I had to withdraw from. I was looking at uh, this race called Ronda del Sims in the country of Andorra. And it has, I think, and I'm just shooting out numbers, like 44,000 feet of climbing, which is more than hard rock. Uh, very tough race. Uh, I was looking at um, this race called Diagonal de Fou. I don't know how to say it correctly, but it's a French owned island uh, the coast of Madagascar and the Indian Ocean. Uh, it's, I think it's called the Crossing of the Fools is how they kind of translate that. Uh, again, it's another race with a lot of climbing. You cross an entire island. Um, so it's a pretty tough race. So. I don't know. And, oh, and then a fourth one would be Nolan's 14, which is the crossing of 14 14ers in Colorado. I think that, so that would be like the second version of a really great one. Any others? So I was just wondering if you got any aspirations of doing any of the uh, long uh, mountain trails, Appalachian, on the East Coast, West Coast, kind of thing like that. Uh, so I through hiked the Arizona Trail before, kind of like when I was getting into ultra running. Um, I don't know if I do right now, currently have the aspirations of doing like a complete through hike of a trail. Um, I would love to run the Arizona Trail and see like how quick I can do it. I think like about two weeks would be possible, um, but probably a couple years away from doing that. And I really enjoy doing the races right now. So, uh, Jamil, you mentioned uh, tapering being really important. So, can you give us a little bit of, you know, so what's your experience with tapering? How much tapering do you do? Can you describe that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Just you know, about two weeks out from goal race, reducing the volume and the intensity of your runs. You know, on a scale, so like, might be like a 20% reduction in your miles, you know, each day, approximately, you know, just kind of tapering down. 
Uh, race week, I like to do very little, try and sleep as much as I can, uh, and get everything. And I think it's just it's important. You need to, you've hopefully done all the work you needed to do in your training cycle. And I mean, while also resting along the way, I think just more race is, is definitely important, just to kind of recharge the systems. Um, just the hard part is, it's really more mental, I think, than anything. You start to feel weird things. I mean, any people have experienced that in a taper. You start to feel stale, like you're out of shape, going on a three-mile run, and you get out of breath. But um, you know, by the time race day comes, in my experience, that's never mattered. Um, it's always been good. Any last question? What is run sweet get high? What run sweet get high? It is. It's like a motto brand that I came up with, kind of running around Colorado. It's just a way of life. It's what I like to do, run up mountains. Nothing to do with <laughs> But you know, if that's your thing. Uh, you know, just, uh, it's really all about, I love just kind of using that to motivate myself and hopefully others can draw some inspiration from it. Uh, the actual company itself, we use some different apparel items, and we also have um, kind of some action running films that we that we produce, and we're going to be doing a lot more of those this year. I think I've seen one. Very good. So we did like the Hard Rock 100 from two years ago. We we did a pretty good, a pretty long one. Yeah, well, we have Damn Good Run on Sunday, and then the Insomniac Runs will start. Uh, April 30th is Sinister, and then kind of every month uh, we have a race. So check it out. Everybody for running. What's the elevation on um, the Lake Pleasant one? Um, I don't know. Okay. Come find out. It's a surprise. <laughs> it's, a surprise. It's, not, it's, not like a, it's not like running up to Crown King. Right. <laughs> okay. Just making sure, you know, it's part of it. Though. See, you can do it. All right. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you.